can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry When my fear is like Jericho Build the walls around my soul When my heart is
to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people from God, for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for your God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. 
And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the Lamb.
Good morning, my PJ-wearing parishioners. That was a lot of Ps. It is uh, glad to have you tuning in this morning with us. Worship team, thank you for leading us. They're going to be back a little later as we're going to mix up a little bit how we do our service this morning. Uh, I'm going to be sharing the word with you in a few moments, and you'll understand why after I'm done, they're going to come up after and, and lead us in some worship uh, that'll, that'll fit our text this morning. We are glad you're joining in. I've gotten... Uh, text messages and emails from people all over the country that are tuning in today and I just want to say hi and you're welcome to worship with us at Carpenter's Way and and uh, we're honored that you'd be with us. I want to, uh, there's uh, just a few people in this building. We have a skeleton crew from our worship team to our technical team and we're so appreciative uh, of their willingness to come in and stay six feet apart from each other but to, but to help us uh, pull this off and, and uh, you know, I, I got to tell you something. Uh, I was up here around 7 this morning, and it is a beautiful day in East Texas. And uh, so when we're done worshiping together, make sure you go take a walk. Turn off the news, and uh, the news won't change between day and tomorrow, I assure you. And, man, that song was so good. God never changes. He's our rock. Um, man, you can trust him. And I know nerves are frayed. And, and again, we're going to get into that a little bit this morning. But if you'll bear with me before I jump into our message, I'm going to pray for in a moment. And then we're going to get into our text uh, this morning, which will be Revelation chapter, we'll start in chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles, we'll want you to turn there, or it'll be on the screen for you this morning as well. I do want to make some announcements for Carpenter's Way, folks. Uh, I want to mention to the men, as ladies, uh, if you are watching on Facebook, that means that you have been on our church's Facebook page. Uh, ladies are having Wednesday night uh, Bible studies, other Bible studies going on. So make sure if you haven't jumped into those, Heather, who was just singing, uh, is leading one on Wednesday nights. And I think there's somewhere about 80 women involved in a live uh, Facebook uh, through our women's ministry webpage. If you don't have that, if you will text us, we'll make sure to get you on that. Men, we are starting up our men's timeout digital uh, Bible study 
Uh, we usually meet uh, Tuesday mornings at 6.30 right here in the building. Well, Tuesday morning this week, we're starting it up digitally, and it will be uh, on a program called Zoom. You'll need to be invited to that. If you will email me or the office, uh, Rex Gray is going to uh, be overseeing all that. If you have his email and you will email him, uh, we will make sure you get an invite to that. But if you don't have his email, just email me, mark at cwbc.org, cwbc.org, and I'll make sure to forward that on to Rex Gray, and, and you'll be invited to that. If you've never been, it is, it is a great discussion. We're studying Hebrews right now. Uh, Daryl Douglas leads it, and uh, we just have conversation on Scripture. So we'll encourage you to get a cup of coffee and, and grab your computer and log on with us there. Uh, one, uh, another couple things. I know that a lot of you are serving. Keep serving. Uh, the only thing that's changed is, is, is our gathering right now. Uh, the church has left the building and you're serving. Keep doing it. Keep looking for opportunities. We've had a lot of calls from peop uh, people wanting to serve. And uh, I know that the Salvation Army is feeding every day and we would encourage you, if you're looking for a place to serve, give them a call as their, uh, their soup kitchen is handing out food to those in need. And uh, uh, other things, if, if you would like to help, uh, we're, we're in pretty good shape right now, but we can help assimilate you into ministries in the community if you'd like to do that. The final thing is I want to encourage Carpenter's Way people. If you're visiting this morning, this is not for you. But Carpenter's Way folks, we want to encourage you to be faithful in your giving. We want to end this, however long this goes, we want to end this in a healthy fashion. Uh, we've got missionaries that we support, and we support the ministries of Carpenter's Way. So I want to encourage you to be faithful in that. Uh, there's going to be a new way we're hooking up uh, text to give this week. And uh, so a letter will be coming to you, Carpenter's Way fan, uh, fans. That's not right. Uh, family. Um, there'll be a, uh, an email letter coming out to you this week. So uh, be looking for that, and it'll tell you all the ways to give. You can drop it by the office. You can give online, or you can put it in the mail. And, and this week, we'll start text to giving, so you can do that as well. So uh, that's all that. Now, let's, let's get here. Let's get into what we came to do. Uh, let's pray. Let's ask God to meet with us. Uh, and, and we'll jump into our text. Father, I thank you uh, that we can gather together even digitally, uh, that we can um, worship you, that we can study the scripture. We're very, very thankful that you are not limited by uh, a location. Thank you that the people of God are the temple of the Holy Spirit, not the building that's owned by the people of God. This is just our house. This is the house that Carpenter's Way meets, but outside of this building is the church. So rise us up, Father. Uh, teach us of yourself, and, and there's so much noise, there's so much fear, fear of the government, fear of this disease, fear of, uh, of, of just normal diseases, of the things of life, fear of our children falling behind in education, but above all of that is, is God, who never changes, and so as we get into your word this morning, Father, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would help us to have open hearts, continue to provide for us, Father, as a church, as individual families, and may we be faithful in our service in our commitment to you, in our giving, and in all areas. And we commit our time to you this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, there's a picture on your screen right now that is familiar to probably three-quarters of you. Those that aren't familiar with this picture are not familiar because you didn't have kids uh, for any time in the last 25 or 30 years. But as a Wilkie family, we grew up with this couple. They were our friends. That is uh, Uncle Jesse... Uh, and Aunt Becky, and we loved them. We knew them. I mean, we especially loved Aunt Becky. And we watched her week in and week out, this gentle, humble, always doing the right thing, married to the bad boy Uncle Jesse, transforming him into a quality guy. 
If you haven't seen the show or didn't watch the remakes, uh, you will remember when she would touch his soul, he would say something like, have mercy. And, uh, you know, he loved his hair. But Aunt Becky, she was steady. I mean, we knew we loved Aunt Becky. We all wanted her to be our aunt until we realized we didn't know Aunt Becky. You see, Aunt Becky was a character written by people in Hollywood in a way that we would love Aunt Becky. But behind the Aunt Becky that we thought we knew was the actress that we have come to know in the past year. And that actress isn't exactly Aunt Becky. Uh, One of the problems for many of us in the church is that we think we know who Jesus is. I mean, like Aunt Becky, we only know him from what others have really said about him. We, we listen to what people say, our favorite preachers. We read our favorite authors about him. We listen to songs about him, songs we know from our childhood, and we believe those, and we love those. Unfortunately, the problem with this is that those who have been presenting Jesus to the world, even if they're well-meaning, often present only one side of Jesus, the side of Jesus that proves their doctrinal or social or political point of view. While Jesus may in fact have the qualities of what, what they present to know Jesus, to really, really know him, and I mean really know him, all of him, you must know him with courage and time. You must invest yourself into studying who he is more than hearing messages about him or reading a few pleasant memes about him or enjoying songs about him, you really need to know him as he is by looking at the books he inspired, having have them written for him. There's 66 of them. We know them in one volume called the Bible. And it tells the story about God, about creation as we know it, about humanity, how humanity turned his back in disobedience against God, and how God set a plan of a- in action to actually redeem mankind and to bring him into the relationship he really wanted, which Ephesians 1.5 tells us was to, to make us his children, to bring us into a relationship with him. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 gives us a perfect picture of Jesus that we know. Let me read it to you. It's going to be on your screen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 says this. Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality uh, with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When, and pay attention to this, he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I want you to look at a picture, Carpenter's Way people, that you're very familiar with. This picture is over our baptismal. Uh, a few, it was quite a few years ago on Easter. Uh, this picture was painted for us during the service while somebody else performed music. It was an incredible Sunday. And this is the picture of Jesus that we're kind of familiar with. It mimics pictures that you will find on ancient coinage, on the shroud of Turan. Uh, This is a picture of Jesus that comes into our mind. And some of you 
who have seen this picture kind of repulsed by it and say, well, that's an Anglo Jesus. The Jesus of the New Testament surely would have been darker skinned with more curly hair. He would have looked more Middle Eastern. But I want to start by saying that that really, those identities of Jesus, whether he's Anglo or darker skinned, whether he's Mexican in nature, which if you go into uh, southern hemisphere churches, you'll see pictures of Jesus that way. The truth is that none of those really present who Jesus really is. I mean, sure, that scripture in Philippians chapter 2 tells us that as he walked among us, he took the form of a humble servant. But the point hidden in Philippians chapter 2 is where it says that he appeared as a human while here on earth. He even looked like a poor human, not a God-king human, but a humble servant is the form he took. And as we have worked through this series together, and those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we are in the middle of a series, week 48 uh, of a series on who is this man. We have spent all of our time so far in the New Testament eyewitness testimonies. That is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of whom for much of his ministry, saw him firsthand what he was doing. And so we have tried to discipline ourselves to look at Jesus from the, from the vantage point of those who lived with him. I want us this week to look at one more eyewitness testimony of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. I want us to look at him and understand that the word Christ isn't his last name. It's his identity, Jesus the Messiah. That's what the word Christ means. I want us to look at the eyewitness testimony for Jesus in all of eternity. I think, I mean, I really, really think in times like these, when the world is out of order, when things we're accustomed to, like our kids going to school at this time of the day and coming home at this time of the day, or when we go to work or walking into Sam's and picking up toilet paper, it's silly little things like being able to go to a Mexican restaurant and having chips at your table and being served while you sit there or even church. You can't even gather with people you love outside of Facebook, just communicating, but you can't look in each other's eyes, or in the way of the South, you can't hug each other. When that gets upended, it just, even if life is okay, even if you haven't been furloughed in your job, it just doesn't feel like life is normal. And it makes you not angry at people, but maybe a little grumpy because everything that sat in its place up to this moment is no longer in its place, except for one thing, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the steady of the child of God. And Hebrews 13.8, in fact, says this. It says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The only thing that never, ever changes isn't heaven. Because Scripture tells us that there'll be a new heaven. It isn't earth, because Scripture tells us there'll be a new earth. It, it isn't life or family. That changes if you have a relationship with God. The one thing that doesn't change is Jesus, is the Godhead, the Trinity. While he appeared to us merely as an unimpressive ser servant-like human, and if that offends you, you need to go back and read what Isaiah, 500 years before his birth, said about him, that he was unimpressive to look at. He looked like an ordinary man. While unimpressive, a servant-like human, he was still the same one that Hebrews 1 tells us created everything that ever was. And while still looking like an unimpressive human dude from Nazareth, he was and is still the one 
that Hebrews 1 verse 8, actually the Father says this about him. Look at your screen. Your throne, this is God the Father speaking. Your throne, O God, endures forever. He's talking to Jesus. You rule with the scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God, your God, O God, he, God the Father is referring to Jesus. This is one of the reasons why it's, we believe in the Trinity. You'll see it a couple more places later. But the Father is speaking to the Son. Your, uh, therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. The point I want to make out of that text is, even though Jesus presented himself in the picture you saw over the baptismal or in your mind's eye, whether you see him as black, Middle Eastern, Mexican, white, whatever Jesus looks in your mind's eye to you, that's not really who he is. He is God. He's not just God's son. And in the South, uh, people say this regularly, and they don't mean anything by it, but it's said all the time. We say things like, God and Jesus. You know, I prayed this week to God and Jesus, as if Jesus isn't God. And this text tells us that the steady in our life is Jesus, who is, who was, who for, uh, before time was, who is, and who forever will be God. And we forget that, because in there lies hope. The humble human that we see in our mind's eye as, as a humble human is way more than a humble human. And if we're going to trust him completely in these difficult times, and when this is over, and it will end, just take a deep breath, it will end, our economy will go back, you will find work, it always has happened through history, this is not the first time the world has been upended, it will happen again. But if we put our trust in him completely, although the world does this, our emotions do, do not, because the, the firm foundation upon which we trust doesn't change. And so, this morning, I want us to jump out of the Gospels, and I want us to take a, take a new look. Let us read an eyewitness testimony to the real identity of Jesus, the Messiah, in his glory. You're aware of this. It's the book of Revelation. It's funny, but I think, um, I think sometimes, again, by well-meaning pastors, we accidentally, we accidentally move away from the context of Scripture and why something is so important, and, and we teach something else, and it's beginning to happen again. You're beginning to hear pastors and theologians begin to tell you why we are now, I think the Jehovah's Witness, which I don't consider Christian, but the Jehovah's Witness came out with a new statement this week. Their statement was that we are finally now at the end of the end times. So every other time, from the Iranian war to the Iraqi war to World War II to all the other times, they say this is finally the end of times. Now we're at the end of the end times. And actually Christian theologians, uh, evangelical theologians are beginning to say it too. Let me tell you now why I'm right, even though I was wrong a year ago, or I was wrong two years ago, or I was wrong five years ago. The problem is we only see Jesus as a human and we don't see him as in control of all of this. The, the truth is the book of Revelation, while it has interesting information about the end of times, the point of the book of Revelation is found in its title. It's one of the few books of the Bible that actually has a, uh, an inspired title. In the original documents, the name, the Revelation, but that's not the name of the book. It's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. You would think by the way it's preached that it's the Revelation of the end times. But you must understand that the reason that, it's the, re that the Revelation of the end times is in there because it presents Jesus Christ as the Alpha, the beginning. We are comfortable with that. Hebrews 1 says that he created all things. 
We're comfortable with him, him, him living at that time, him drawing us to himself. We're comfortable with him living for 33 and a half years as that humble guy we've looked at. We're comfortable with all that. But what we forget is that Jesus Christ is on the throne, that he is all things. And that's why God took the apostle John, put him on the prison island of Patmos, and allowed him to have a vision so that he could record for us and he instructs John to write these things down so that Jesus' true identity could be revealed. And I want you to know, and I'm not gonna spend time in it today, but in Revelation chapter one, when John, who spent three and a half years with Jesus walking around, the humble servant Jesus, as he spent walking around with him, when John sees Jesus in his glory, it says that he fell down as a dead man. He didn't identify him because he didn't recognize him. You see, to John, Jesus was the humble servant. When he saw Jesus in his glory, he falls on his face as if a dead man because he didn't recognize him. And I'm afraid we don't recognize Jesus in all of his glory. And that is core to helping us have hope when the world that we, that we think we've got figured out begins to spin out of control. I assure you, this is not the last time it's going to spin out of control. And it is imperative upon the children of God that we know God himself, so we put our trust in him, not our job, not our church, not our whatever, but in God alone. So who is this Jesus really, which the apostle John writes about, saw in his first person, and he, and he records for us? Revelation chapter 4 begins telling us. John's writing, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I'll show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like Jasper and Carnelian and the glow of an emerald circle. His, uh, let's see, let me try it again. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. 24 thrones surrounded him. And what I want you to do as we read this, I want you to try to picture this. It's almost impossible, but let your mind wander. 24 thrones surrounded him, and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This, these torches, this is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne, was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, whenever the living beings gave glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you, uh, what you please. Now, I, just, just take a breath here for a second because I know this is mind-boggling and, I, and I, I, I want you to think about what you just heard because it's not what you think. Pay attention here because what you're looking at, what John was looking at is God's throne room. Now, I know it's weird. I mean, but it, sh it shouldn't be weird in our doctrine because we're talking about God. We're not talking about a Baptist 
ruler or, or an evangelical ruler or a Lutheran guy. We're talking about God, the God who created all that we know. You see, we have become as humans so self-centered that it is our belief that everything that has been created by God would be understandable to us, that would make sense. But why would, it, why would we expect that from God? I know I, my voice is cracking. Think about how selfish we've become. Shouldn't the throne room, and I know that there have been many books written on each of these creatures and the elders and stuff, but I just don't, inten- I just don't think God intended for us to obsess with those things. He, ex- he intends for us to obsess over Him. The fact that there are eyes all over creatures and there's angels that look different, that should make sense to us because our God has not limited Himself to the creation that we're familiar with. He is God. Outside of all of this, there are angels and demons and forces and things that God created that have never been seen by us. We only picture them the way we do. In fact, if we think of Lucifer this morning, if you think of Satan, we picture him with a, with a, a, a hook, uh, a horns, a big tail, and red. You realize that during the Dark Ages, that was a creation of an artist that wanted to offend Lucifer, who he thought wanted to be beautiful like God. Scripture actually says that Lucifer is the most beautiful of all of God's creations. He doesn't look like the painters make them out to be. We don't know what he looks like, but we've got it in our mind's eye that we do. It makes us feel better. And the truth is, we don't know what the demons look like. We don't know what the angels look like. We have no idea. I do assure you that the cherub are not little cute babies running around with, uh, with bow and arrows. That's not, how, that's not how it is. These are fierce beings with great authority and power uh, that, are, that are servants of the Most High God or servants of the evil one who are waging war with each other and trying to attract our attention. So when we look at the throne room of God, we shouldn't be surprised at the creatures that are there, at the songs that they sing. And when I, when I read this, I have a tendency to think that, that John is just describing a moment in time where he sees the throne room. He says that day in and day out in this text, they bow down and worship. So John is just standing there with his mouth drawn open, recording what he's seeing over a period of time. Now, two things are really important. In the throne room I just read you, Jesus isn't even in the picture. On the throne is God the Father. We have the Holy Spirit in the room. He's described as torches or the sevenfold Spirit of God and the elders and then the weird angelic beings worshiping and seeing. Jesus hasn't even shown up in this picture yet, but he will. Revelation 5 verse 1. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne, the Father. He's got a scroll in his hand. There was writing on the inside, and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Look what John responds. Then I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. So again, you have this vast throne room, and you have the Father on the throne, and you have the Holy Spirit standing before him in the form of torches, and you have all of these beings, and you have this super strong angel. Can you imagine what John's experiencing? I mean, John is experiencing a guy he describes as a strong angel who goes up to the Father on the throne and takes the scroll from him, and he begins screaming, who's worthy to unroll this scroll? Where's Jesus? 
He's about to enter. Our humble, human, gentle servant Jesus. Verse 5. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping, John. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, to the heir of David's throne, he has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Are you ready? Here he comes. Here comes our Jesus, the conquering hero, the Lion of Judah in all of his glory. Verse 6, and I saw a lamb. He looked as if he had been slaughtered. But it was standing now between the throne where the Father seated and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes. That's the Holy Spirit which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. Wow. Let's put that over our baptismal. He doesn't look at all like the humble servant. This Jesus, described by John in the heavens, where he stands before the Father who's sitting on the throne and the Holy Spirit that, 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 that's in the form of fire, he looks like a slaughtered lamb. He's called the lion. And he now has seven horns and seven eyes that are, and he, that are referred to now as the Holy Spirit. So you have two parts of the Trinity together in one in the person of Jesus. Verse 7, Jesus stepped forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne, the Father. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Did you pray this week? Now you know where they are. In that bowl, before the throne of God, that stands before the Father who is seated on His throne, and the Holy Spirit who is in the throne room of God, and Jesus Christ who is standing there, the Lion of Judah, who is the Lamb. And that's where your prayers are. Incense. They smell up heaven. And they sang a new song with these words. Everybody in heaven, you are worthy, Jesus, to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood had ransomed for people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. It's us. It's us. Then I looked again. And I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels. Is that not weird? Shouldn't it be thousands? I, I don't know how it should be written, but there's a lot of angels there. Thousands of millions of angels around the throne. So this throne room is now full of thousands and millions of angels and, and, and elders and God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ who's one with the Spirit. And he's holding the scroll. And now everybody is singing Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and they sang, Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the Lamb who was called the Lion of Judah, who looked like a lamb that had been slaughtered, who had horns, and who had... This is an incredible scene. This is our Jesus. That's our Trinity. In the middle of the glorious scene of the throne room of the Father, 
where he's not seen as a curly-haired Middle Eastern servant boy from Nazareth that people mock, and the Jewish leaders still reject to this day, that the disciples rebuked, that we doubt regularly. This week, God, I'm scared. Fix this. This is Jesus in his glory, as he really, really is. This is the other side of him. Revelation 7, listen as I read the whole thing. Revelation 6, 1 to 17. Listen as I read. And as I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say say with a voice like thunder, Come! I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow. And a crown was placed on his head and he rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. When the Lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being saying, Come! Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was a war and slaughter everywhere. Verse 5, When the Lamb broke the third seal, Jesus is breaking these seals. I heard the third living being saying, Come! I looked up and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being saying, Come! I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death and its companion was the grave. And these two were given authority over over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword uh, with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. When the Lamb, Jesus, broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the sores of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for, the faith, uh, for being faithful to their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and they said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then A white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little while longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred had joined them. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became dark as black cloth and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll and all of the mountains and the islands were moved uh, from their places. Then everyone, the king of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person, they all hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us! Hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who will survive? Who is this man? Who is this man we've been studying that we see as a, as a Middle Eastern humble guy? He is God, and he's the only one worthy to unroll the scrolls, the only one. And while you are going to hear, and you have already begun hearing, pastors and theologians tell you that the diseases that are around us prove that the end of the end is at hand. Jesus said that the end of the end was at hand when he ascended into heaven. And he told us to remain faithful until his return, trusting that he alone was worthy to unroll the scrolls of what comes. And it is our job as his children to cry out to him for redemption and peace, but to trust that he alone can break the seal of what comes next. And he has proven himself worthy of our trust. 
That is our Jesus, who Hebrews says is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And to those of you who don't know him personally, he is a lion who will devour you if you do not meet him. He came and he died and he was slain so that you could be his child, so that you could see him as the Lamb of God who adores you, so that you could put your trust in him. And I implore you today to accept his offer to forgive your sins and his Father's desire to make you part of his family. Where you are in your living room or in your car, just call out to him and tell him you know you're a sinner and he's the only one that can save you. And before he begins unrolling those scrolls, you want to make sure you are part of his family. How do you do that? Call on the Lord. For those of you who are his kids, this is the one who paid for your adoption. This is the other side of him that is very, very rarely thought about unless we're casting judgment on the lost. He is your ferocious lamb. He is still the lion whom God has given the scroll to. He is the one who owns the details of today and tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. He's got control of even this, what you fear the most, whatever keeps you awake at night. Even John the Apostle wept for a moment thinking that nobody was in control of the future. The reason he wept in the throne room when the angel took the scroll from the Father is because he didn't think anybody was in control. Who's worthy? No one is worthy. Jesus is worthy. When we sing hymns and choruses that declare the worthiness of God, we are declaring that he's the only one worthy to unroll the future, that we trust him even in the midst of our fear, that we trust him. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is worthy to be trusted, not just with the tribulation and the rapture and the return. He's worthy to be trusted with tomorrow and toilet paper and food and our kids' education. Once again, many are going to tell you that we are at the end of the end, and we don't know that we are. We've been at the end of the end since Jesus went home. This will all end one day. When the Father's scroll is given to Jesus to unroll with the power and authority of the sevenfold Spirit of God, it will end, but not a moment before. So what do we do? What do we do until he comes? 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor and give all your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. Psalm 55, 22, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Hebrews 4, 16, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. One more thought before we sing. And I encourage you to not turn this off when this message is over. If you don't want to sing, you got to think. Just a sidebar. I know that one of the nervous things that we're doing right now is trying to protect our children from these times. I think that's a mistake. No, I don't think we need to terrify our kids, but our kids need to see us trusting in God. They need to see you at 5 o'clock in the morning on your knees in your living room. And when they ask you why, you tell them you're afraid. 
you tell them that you're trusting God to take care of you. There are people on the internet trying to figure out how to protect our children from this. What are we protecting them from? How will they ever trust Him when they're older if they don't trust Him when they're young? How will they trust Him when they're young if we don't trust Him? Brothers and sisters, the church is unleashed to prove that we are who we say, that we believe that Jesus is who He says. Be the church. Be the church. You want to reach, uh, reach the lost? Don't tell them that this is God's condemnation. Tell them that there's still a Redeemer. And today is the day of salvation. And your hope, your hope, is not in toilet paper. <laughs> it's in God. The Father on the throne. Jesus and the Holy Spirit standing before Him with the scroll, unrolling it. Because in the end, we win because of what Jesus did. Dear Jesus, help us to see you in all of your glory. Not just one angle, but every side of the story. And may we never find our hope in our government, in our church leadership, in our favorite author, in ourselves. May we find our hope in the Lamb who is the Lion of Judah. In Jesus' name I pray. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. And is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. is it good that we remind ourselves of
Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? Oh, He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? Who conquered the grave? He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave from every people and tribe, every nation and tongue. He has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? question for all of us this morning is do we believe that do we believe what we just read do we believe the the message that pastor mark brought us through do we do we believe the words that we just sang is he worthy is he worthy i just want to challenge you this morning i know you're there in your living room and maybe it's a little odd maybe you're on your back porch i don't know maybe you're sitting at the lake i don't know but i want us to respond uh, we have a couple songs here we're going to sing, and uh, I just want to challenge you to respond right there in your living room, uh, to respond on your back porch, wherever you're at right now, um, just to respond to the fact that He is worthy. You can stand if you want to in your living room. You can stay seated. Uh, you can get on your knees. Whatever you want to do, let's take these next couple songs. Let's really respond however you see fit to what, to what we've just heard and what we just sang together.
this week as we um as we try to embrace this new normal of of what life looks like and all the uncertainties that are happening around us lord we know lord as we read in your word that that you never change you're exactly the same as when abraham and moses and joshua and all these people walked the earth you're the same as you were then you're the same as you were with the disciples and paul and and you're the same even now with us. And, and we know, Lord, that you will always be the same. And I ask, Lord, that as we go into this week, as we, as we face just another week of, like I said, this uncertainty, Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to rest in the fact that we know you're good. We know what your word says. We know that at the end of the day, you are worthy. You alone are worthy. Nothing else matters, God. We ask, Lord, that your spirit that lives inside of, inside of us would remind us that this week, that you would just that you would well up inside of us, that you would remind us of these truths that we have read this morning, these truths that we have seen, have saying, Lord, that you alone are worthy. You alone are holy. And so, God, we give you this week. We lay it at your feet, and we ask, Lord, that you be glorified in everything that we say and everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys have a good week. We'll see you next weekend.